On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about LaSalle Park. Some of you are familiar with it. Others have no idea what this means. It is a weird little geographical feature of Hamilton that Hamilton owns, but is not located in Hamilton. We will tell you the story with Councillor Sam Marula and why it's back in the news. We're also going to be chatting about the four-day work week. This is something that is gaining traction, I think. We're certainly hearing a lot about it. The idea of a four-day work week, could it work? Would it work? And how is it that a four-day work week, proponents say, would help stimulate the economy? We'll explain. Also, Disney World is reopening. Everybody's been to Disney. Everyone's seen Disney. Everyone's going to go to Disney. But when it reopens in a few days, it will be doing so with some very different rules, some very new things that people who have been there will absolutely not recognize. We will talk about it with all-time Disney World aficionado Annette Hom from CHCH Morning Live. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Really interesting discussion today at City Council. Well, as much as at City Council can be. They're all at home. The City Council meeting, during the City Council meeting. Um, because it was about one of the weird I would say oddest geographical features of this city and and a a part of the city that seems to come up in conversation every couple or few years, and that would be LaSalle Park. LaSalle Park is a piece of Hamilton that is not in Hamilton. It's in Burlington, and yet we own it. Well, the man who brought the motion that got this all being discussed at council today uh, was Councillor Sam Marula, who, as I understand it, is still in the council meeting, but is... I was going to say stepping out is clicking a button to move out of council and onto the radio for a few minutes. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing well, sir. And yourself? I'm doing well, thanks. You know, you guys got to do something to shorten these meetings. They go on forever now. Well, today's not going to be too bad. We'll be done before <laughs> 2 a.m., which is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an improvement. It's it an improvement. Indeed. Well, indeed. Uh, before we get into the detail of what is up with LaSalle Park and why it's being talked about today, I want to go back just a bit and give a little context and history because some people who are listening will know about LaSalle Park. Others have probably never heard about this or don't know what it's all about. Um, this is a Hamilton-owned piece of property that doesn't exist in Hamilton. That's correct. So it's basically it, our Bermuda. So, no, what would have heard was <laughs> back, in, <laughs> back in the day, um, um, Aldershot was part of of Hamilton. So as a, as a direct result of um, it being annexed, it then no longer was part of Hamilton, but we kept, we kept the park, which we owned, but Aldershot itself was, was uh, annexed. So as a result, um, we, we had to negotiate a lease agreement and in 1983 when they had, I guess Hamilton had more money than brains. We, <laughs> we, we gave them the park for a dollar a year. So we, in essence, gave them 50 acres of prime waterfront property. Um, and then, um, ho- oh, I, did we lose Sam? All right, we'll try and get Sam Marula back. Um, yeah, so we've got this. If you look on the map, on the map of Hamilton slash Burlington, what makes this so weird, interesting is yes, as, as we annexed and as Aldershot got taken over and moved in and all the rest, you would think, oh, okay, well, at least it's a piece that's touching Hamilton, then, right? The piece that's between Hamilton and Burlington, if we're going to keep a piece, it would be the piece that is still touching us. So it makes some sense, but no, go look on the map. 
LaSalle Park is not that. LaSalle Park is further into Burlington. So as I sort of jokingly said, it's our Bermuda. It is a piece of property, 50 acres, as Sam says, that is entirely within the city limits of Burlington, entirely within the city limits of Burlington, and yet we still own it. And what ends up happening is every few years, this comes up for discussion because Burlington would love to have this piece of property. It is a prime piece of real estate, 50 acres right on the lake, beautiful grassy area. I mean, whether you want to keep it as a park or whether you want to allow it to be developed. I mean, if you allow this thing to be developed, this is a very, very, very valuable piece of property. Very valuable piece of property. But we own it. And so every few years, it seems to come up as a discussion that, you know what, how, how Burlington has made moves on it at times, not, not like, are not claiming they're going to take it over as some sort of military operation, but suggesting that perhaps, you know, this should be something that we buy out or we take over or something else like that. Hamilton so far has either not found the deal or has been unwilling to give up this piece of property. Instead, we redo leases with them over and over and over. And I believe, and I think this is why it came up at council again, and if we can get Councilor Marula back, we'll talk about it. I believe it's getting close to that time when we are going to be renegotiating that lease once again. And so what in 2020, what is a 50 acre piece of land on the lake that people in Burlington love and people in Burlington use? What's that worth? And beyond that, you know, we don't want to be in a war with our neighbor city. We don't want to be in a war with them. So should we as a city be pressing hard and negotiating like maniacs to say, no, no, you got to give us, you know, some extraordinary amount of money or do we do what they did once upon a time? Sam Marula says, well, we had more money than brains, I guess. Uh, and to that point, I would agree a dollar a year seems kind of silly. But what amount of money is something like this worth on a yearly lease basis? It is, a, it is a great conundrum for this city. And what if you could sell it? What if Hamilton could sell it? We have, as you well know, we have right now a $3 billion plus infrastructure deficit in the city. That means we need at least that much money for all the infrastructure repairs and improvements we have to do. I don't know what a piece of land like this might get you, but it would be millions of dollars. Would that help to do some things? What if selling this would allow people on council who really want the LRT to be a big chunk of the overrun that LRT would cost. Hmm. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Councillor Sam Marula, who um, is is juggling here, he is in a council meeting as well, and uh, we lost you for a second. I understand, Councillor, you, you had to put forward the motion about the Sobe bikes in the middle of our conversation. That's what happens yeah. when you're doing two things at once. It's all good. It's all good, and uh, we got it through, and it's now being uh, discussed, and Councillor Farr, who has been a champion on that file, um, is, is putting it uh, to bed right now. So it's all, it's all good, and I'm listening into both. <laughs> okay. Well, you're talented if you can do that. How is it that over the years, so you, you gave a little bit of the background on, on LaSalle Park, which, again, I think some people know the story. Some people have never heard this before. 
How is it that over the years, with all the different times it came up for discussion, for lease negotiations or whatever else, how has it never been sold to Burlington? Well, we tried, uh, but they just never came up with a number that uh, was even remotely satisfactory uh, to us. So just so you know, I, I first bought this forward in 2001, my first year on council. I brought it forward again uh, in mid to late 2000s, then again in 2015, every time they kicked us to the curb. But now it's the, finally the rubber's hitting the road because December of 2022, the lease is up. We take possession of it if they don't act on it. And really, I'm, I'm, I'm simply looking for a fair deal. I know people that live in that neighborhood. They believe that park is priceless. And so give us a, 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 um, an offer that is, that is respectable, an offer that respects us as a neighbor and someone that has really only received a dollar a year uh, for, uh, since 1983. It, and they're making a revenue from it and the quality of life issues. It's worth a lot more than a dollar a year. We all know that. So it, it will land, I believe. I'm hearing better, um, more more amicable words coming out of Burlington today than I did in the previous administration, which is a good thing. And I'm hoping that we can land this because ultimately we're going to have to before December of 2022. Is this a case where we don't want this because it's a pain in the butt to have to look after something that's out of our jurisdiction? Or is it because we know it's valuable and so it would be more sense for us to be able to sell it and use the money for something here? We, we really just want a fair deal. So a part of it can be developed. Uh, most of it can't. But there is a portion that's worth 3 to $4 million an acre. If we really wanted to push the envelope, we could go right to Alpat and, and circumvent the Burlington Council. But we don't want to do that. We just simply want a fair offer and one that respects us as, as good neighbors. So if you say three to four million per acre, there are 50 acres there. Yeah, but that's uh, all I mean, might be developed. Not all of it. No, no, no. But so, I mean, so do you have a number? Does other councillors have a number in mind of what a fair deal is? No, that's why we're, well, we did in 2015, but land values have increased since, right? What was it worth now, then? Or what was it said to be worth then? I can't, it was all in camera stuff. So it was all. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. But um, I, I, I present, but it was, it was the offer, what I can say publicly, the offer was laughable. It wasn't even close. So we, we, as they kicked us to the curb for the last 20 years, we just kicked their offer to the curb because that's where it belonged. Could you ever see, I mean, even though you want to be good neighbors with Burlington, I get that because you, you have, you know, interests in working together in a lot of things, but could you ever see the day coming when if the offer doesn't, get good enough you would sell it privately and say let you guys figure it out with burlington i guess it could come to that and anything's possible and that's why we're trying to lay out all of the information so that they understand the severity of what their inaction is uh, I'm, and i think they were just cocky in the past because they felt it was 20 years away or 10 years away and most most politicians only think four years away uh but now it's, catch, it's caught up to them so uh, in essence, they need to deal this term because the next, when this is when the lease is up, it's actually the next the year of the next election. So, it's going to land. Uh, the question is, uh, when? The whatever money you could get for it, whether it was eighty million or a hundred million, I'm just guessing based on the acreage and all what you're talking about. I mean, that, with all the things going on and the infrastructure deficit we hear about and everything else, I mean that is money that could come in very handy for the city of Hamilton right about now. <laughs> More than handy, we could set up a a trust fund similar to what we have with Futures fund, Future Fund, where it, it's money that can keep on giving based on the interest and not touching the principal. 
Um, so yeah, it, it can create a great deal of legacy for us down the road, but we need we need a fair deal. There is one other suggestion, and this has come up a couple times, and I think it was during the oh two or three years ago when Rick Goldring was still mayor, and there was what he had moved, and I don't know if he was even joking or what, but d- about grabbing water down as part of um, as yeah. part of Burlington, and someone said, okay, well then we'll grab Aldershot, uh, and I think it was a lot of posturing, but it. Seriously, is there ever a chance that Hamilton would make a trade or try to make a trade of different parts of the city and, and us take Aldershot back with the tax base and everything else, or is that ridiculous? Yeah, I think it's ridiculous because they won't give it up, uh, although we would want it back because it does belong to Hamilton. Uh, that's why they had to annex it, right? So they took it really under force uh, legislatively. Um, but but that's a whole other story, and it happened at a time uh, when, when I guess, uh, we were not in, in some of the... I guess situations we're in today, but but having said that, uh, the focus right now is to try simply to get a fair deal. Everything else is irrelevant to me personally, and if they, as good neighbors, came forward with just the right number that our staff concurs with, then if our professional staff says yeah, that's the number that I think it, it hits the nail, then so be it. Then uh, we'll go for it. Councillor Sam Rule, I will let you get back and now vote on the Solby thing, which is probably still going on. But I appreciate you stepping out for a few minutes. Thanks for doing this. Uh, We're going to just finally put this to rest as well. So that's something to look forward to as well today. So, Very good. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Likewise. All the best. Have a great evening. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. New Zealand is now contemplating introducing a four-day work week as a way to spur the economy in the wake of COVID and all the shutdowns. Uh, there are now suggestions that Prime Minister Trudeau should do the same thing here in Canada. And there are seemingly many people who are all in favor of this. Fewer days at work means more days off, potentially less stress, possibly more sleep. You get more rest. Everybody's happy. Others say, listen, there's nothing wrong with the system we have now work-wise. Hard work is a virtue. What's the problem? Work. Well, let me bring in... Alex Sujung Kim Park. He is the founder of Strategy and Rest. It's a consultancy uh, helping companies and individuals harness the power of rest to shorten our weekdays while staying focused and productive. He's also the author of Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less. Here's how. That's the name of one of his books. Uh, He joins us now. Alex, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on. There are, this is such a fascinating topic to me, and there's so many things I want to get into. and I know we're not going to get to all of them because our time is short. So let me just start very broadly. Why four days a week instead of five? What is the benefit overall to the concept of work if we do it in four days? Well, there are benefits to individuals. There are benefits to companies. And then also benefits to the environment and economy as a whole. So for people, I don't think we need to kind of go over what those are. People can figure out what they would do with more free time for themselves. But companies that move to four-day weeks, because they have to essentially reinvent the way that they work, um, pay more attention to how they use technology, that sort of thing, actually become more productive, more efficient, and more profitable places. Um, So they also become better at attracting and retaining top talent. Um, They're more creative sorts of places. And so it's a win-win for both for both uh, both employees and for order companies. And then I think as we are, you know, 
talking about reopening businesses and restarting the economy, one of the things we've got to think about is how we can sort of make open offices safer. Right? Something like 70% of offices these days are have recirculated air surfaces that lots of people touch, and we know that those can be hot spots for flu and COVID and other kinds of illnesses. And a four-day week would allow people to kind of space out over time, over the course of the week, and thus make these safer places to work. So those are the big benefits right now. You may have answered it partly in what you just said, and I think you probably did when you talked about companies have to get smarter and more you know, creative and all the rest of the things. But one of the areas that I've really struggled with trying to understand, I can see the individual benefits, and even as you've pointed out, the company benefits, but we keep hearing the politicians and the supporters saying this will really stimulate the economy and really help things to get way better. Like the economy is just going to take off if we go to four days. Why would the economy take off with a four-day week? Well, this assumes that you are not cutting salaries, right? Um, and the companies that I studied in my book, Shorter, moved to four-day weeks or 30-hour weeks without cutting anybody's pay. And I think that Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland, and regional politicians in British Columbia have been mainly interested in the direct effects on travel and tourism. We know that when you cut working hours, people travel more, they spend more on travel and leisure. Um, There was a big jump in China in the mid-1990s when they went from a six-day week to a five-day week. That was just about 20 years ago. And so, and then more broadly, there are benefits in terms of less spending on health care because people are able to take better care of themselves. You have sort of lower rates of stress and burnout and therefore sort of less spending on chronic illnesses and the various attendant sort of maladies and ailments that come with that as well. So that's how it serves to stimulate sort of the economy to help the economy grow. All right. Now, let me play devil's advocate for a sec. Let me play devil's advocate for a second. Let me play speaking first. I got to learn how to do that. But then let me play devil's advocate. And I'm sure you've heard this before. Uh, because even the title of the book that I introduced you with is going to make some people nervous because, okay, work better. Yeah. I think everyone can say, yes, let's work better, work smarter. Yes. I think everybody is in agreement that we, that would be good work less. That's where I think you're going to have a lot of people say, wait a second. I believe in a strong work ethic. I see great value in hard work and putting in the work I need to, to make something happen, even if it means working longer days um, do we want people working less, or does that send a, a, a backward message that says you don't have to work as hard? I think working less is working smarter um, and working better, first off. But I also think that we need in an era when we you know, are able to carry our offices around in our pockets, when we have technologies that enable us to do all kinds of amazing things, to back away a little bit from the you know kind of agricultural era and industrial era notion that there's a that there's a you know direct relationship between how many hours we work and how much we produce you know likewise i think that we tend to conf- to think of overwork as a kind of moral thing right that the or for it's sure a, it's for a sure. sign of your dedication and stuff and that is true to a degree but I think that in an era when, you know, sort of when overwork is the norm and when we are so accessible that I think, the, you know, from a lot of us, 
would agree that the pendulum has swung the other way. And that even those of us who love their work, who have a good work ethic, have trouble detaching and disconnecting. And so I think that resetting the work week so that around a four-day week or a six-hour day um, would be great for people and would not represent either a sacrifice of productivity or of a sense of the importance of work in people's lives. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting with Alex Sujung Kim Pang, who is a proponent of four-day work weeks. He is a consultant who helps companies try to figure out how to work shorter and smarter and better. Uh, and Alex, just before the break, we were talking about you know that 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 work ethic, that ethos that some people say I have to work longer and harder. It, it, I could not help but think, as you said that that a lot of people kind of work in the same way that gas works in the world. You fill whatever space you're in. And so Mm -hmm. if I have an eight hour workday, I may be only doing five hours of actual work and three hours of screwing around on the internet. So if you tell me now that I have to get my work done in shorter number of hours or shorter number of days, I'm guessing most people are probably not grinding it out at full speed for eight and a half straight hours. and They'd be fine. (laughs) You know, this is, such a great point because there are actually studies that find that um, people in offices waste two to four hours of productive time every day to I believe that. meetings, multitasking, distraction, and other stuff. And so, you know, if you can just clear that away, you go a long way to being able to give everybody a four day work week without any loss of productivity. And I think that, you know, with knowledge work, it's really a lot, this, it's actually a lot more like, um, or of like being an athlete, right? Or of it's more, you more effective if you have these focused, really intensive bursts of time to work. It's sort of like interval training, right? That sort of you can actually sort of get more done um, and be more effective in shorter, more intensive periods than in really, really long, semi-distracted stretches of time. And we have examples of this, right? I mean, even in our everyday life, doctors and nurses do long shifts and then have multiple days off in a row. And they do okay, it seems, and they get their work done. So we do have examples that show this kind of thing can work. That's exactly right. And in fact, you know, with uh, the doctor's example, there even are starting to be medical schools that are moving to four-day week schedules. So they teach a bunch of classes Monday and Tuesday and then Thursday and Friday, but they give students Wednesdays off to, you know, mainly to kind of do or of study and do other stuff like that. But so far, the evidence is that um, students perform just as well, they learn just as much, and they are just as good doctors as in the old system where, you know, you're in like the lecture hall for 80 hours a week. We just had a caller call in and say that, because um, I was thinking this would have to be a white collar thing. And then mm-hmm. a caller called in and one of the steel mills here in town, they do this, they offer the 12 hour days and four days a week. But is there a concern at all that if you're doing something with your hands, operating heavy machinery or something like that, that would this work for every job is what I'm saying? Or are there some where, no, we still think that it's better to do five days and shorter shifts? Right. You know, um, I mean, I have found companies, you know, factories, um, you know, steel foundries, nursing homes, restaurants that are doing this. So it's not just like knowledge and creative workers, right? It's bartenders and nurses and machinists. Um, I do. However, the evidence is that 
the longer your shift is, the, the less you get done after about six hours, and the more likely you are to make mistakes. And so it really is better to reduce the total number of working hours than to move to a system where, let's say, you're doing four 12-hour days and then you've got you know, five or six days off. Um, so that's, that's, what, that's what the science tells us. Okay, and just to fill something in here, lest anybody think that this is just a left-wing concept or a very liberal New Age concept, uh, the Fraser Institute here in Canada, which is right-wing, just came out with a report saying this can absolutely work. A four-day work week can absolutely work. The, the, the caveat they put on this, Alex, is they said for this to work, and you've touched on this, productivity has to go up within the time frame that you're doing the work. And my question then is, are, are we up for that? I mean, we live in a different time than maybe 50 years ago when you went to work and you grinded it out, knowing how much, and we talked about it a moment ago, how much people do screw around at the office. Are we willing, do you think, to say, I'm going to put that part aside and I'm really going to work hard for the time I'm at work to get that time off at the end? I think the answer is yes. You know, and I think that for... Every example of an office where, you know, uh, that's like, a, you know, sort of something out of a TV show where people are barely working. You have people who in other parts of their lives demonstrate incredible capacity for focus for long periods of time, right? Musicians, artists, I, you know, gamers. Um, and we've trained a generation of people who are capable of focusing really intensively for these, you know, periods of a few hours. And so I think that, uh, that, uh, that between that and between what companies that have already done this can teach us about how organizations have to change, that pretty much I think everybody can make it work and almost every company can give it a try. We only have a few seconds left here, but would I be right, do you think, in saying no, this, whether this can work or not, there are going to be an awful lot of companies that are the bosses, the owners are going to have to be shown this, that it can work for me before I make this a, a concept that we'll all do. you got to, you got to prove to me that this can work and then we'll contemplate it. Oh, sure. But there's, you know, I think that, or if, you know, no, no business owner should do this without seeing the proof. But mm. the good news is that the proof is there, right? There are hundreds of companies in all kinds of industries all over the world, including, you know, workaholic countries like Japan and Korea that have done this successfully sometimes for years. And so, you know, if they are, if they're ready to be convinced and ready to have a better life for themselves as well as for their workers, um, then, you know, the, or if there, is, there is data that can help make the case and help guide them in sort of redesigning work in their own companies. Such an interesting topic, and I know it's one we'll be talking about a lot because it is being talked about a lot right now. Alex Sujung Kim Peng, uh, you can find him and find more about him. It's, uh, what's your website, Alex? Uh, it's, it's strategy.rest. Rest is a top-level domain now. Okay, there you go. Strategy.rest. Uh, go look it up. It's really interesting stuff, and it will affect us, I'm sure, in the next very short while. Alex, I thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks. Great to be on your show. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Universal Studios in Florida opened today, reopened today. Uh, today and tomorrow is for pass holders, and then it's open to the public again on Friday. This is the first phase down there of reopening things. And in next early next month, 
Disney World is going to open now. Why do we talk about Disney World when we're up here in Hamilton and that's way down in Orlando? Well, because first of all, as I said a few moments ago, Disney World seems in a lot of ways to be synonymous with, you know, it, it's the thing that never closed. Even during 9-11, it only closed for a day or two. I mean, and then onward and go, we go. This is, I think this has got to be the longest that it's ever been closed for. But beyond that, everybody, most everybody has been or has planned to be, go or whatever else and has, knows what the experience is like. Well, COVID has changed an awful lot of things and is changing an awful lot of things. And there is nobody who is better capable of discussing this stuff with me and all things Disney than someone you know well because you watch her on TV, hopefully every morning when you turn on CHCH for the morning show, that would be Annette Hom, who isn't just a phenomenal morning show TV host. She is probably someone who knows about 400% too much about Disney World for any one human being. Fair number, Annette? Hello. Hello. <laughs> See, my husband would argue that he knows much more. He's lived it much longer than I have, but he, as he says, oh, I'm not on television, so nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> between the two of you guys, and I've talked to you both about Disney, between the two of you guys, I think you could sit down with Walt Disney and he'd go, really, we have that? Um, <laughs> there is a there is an encyclopedic knowledge. I could literally ask Annette and Daniel any question right now about anything at Disney World, and I'm positive I could get the answer. And I, honestly, Annette, I can't think of one obscure enough that it would make it worth our while. I'll give me a few moments here to see if I can come up with something that would stump you, but I'm pretty sure that I couldn't. Anyway. Okay, go um, ahead and try. <laughs> I'll, give me a couple of minutes to think about something while we're talking, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll test you. Uh, this uh, Reading the stories of what is going to be going on down there, and I don't know if you've been able to see any of these yet, it is stunning to me how different the experience is going to be when they reopen how long it stays this way i don't know but i want to go through some of the things and get your thoughts on you know how this changes everything starting with one that, one part that i don't think it really changes much except it does and that is if you're over two years old and everybody listening i assume is uh you would have to wear a mask the whole time you are on park property mm -hmm, unless you're eating Hopefully, yeah, they, hopefully they allow you to oh, remove your mask. You don't have to strain the food and shove it through and hope mm -hmm. it works with some sort of filter. Yeah, that, that's, that. you know, it's, I don't mind wearing a mask. It's a little uncomfortable, but when it's summertime, when you get into July and August and it's 120 degrees and humid down there, that is going to not be comfortable. Yes, and of course they're selling their own masks. Well, Annette, is there anything they don't sell? <laughs> But I mean, yeah, I'm sure that they... It is going to be different. I actually... Um, so we're planning to go. We have, you know, we have a hotel reservation for October. Uh, Daniel had, months ago, booked all of our dining reservations. They all got canceled uh, a week ago. Well, that's that's part of it, too. The day, the, but, and, and hotel reservations, even. And we'll get to that in a second. But even those have changed. And, and by the way, in case anyone, again, doesn't really know why I'm talking to Annette Hall about this... Uh, how many times have you guys been to Disney between the two of you? Oh, see, he, oh, I've been probably 25, maybe. He's been like many, many more times because he went when he, he went, he was there the very first week that it opened and went like every year as a kid. So I don't wow. know how many times he's been there. He's been there a lot. 
But the, the mask thing, and you say, you know, yeah, Disney's going to be selling their own. This is one part of this whole thing that I'm sure Disney's not upset about, that you have to wear masks, because they are going to sell a billion masks, and not just one. People are going to come in because there's going to be a Mickey mask and a Pluto mask and a Goofy mask, oh, and people are going to buy the selling set. them, right? And and the, the prices, they're not bad, but I'm like, wow. Like, But it's, it's one of those, oh, do I want to collect the whole set? <laughs> 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 yeah, because because as my wife always jokes when we're down there, we don't go that we don't go nearly as often as you. You see people wearing all the Disney stuff down there, and it's great. It makes sense when you're there, and then you come home, and it's like, yeah, but do I really need a pair of sparkly, light up, shiny Mickey Mouse ears to wear around town? Down there, the complete set of masks might seem like it makes a lot of sense. Come home, and you might look like a moron. Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, they are also so the mask is one thing, and again, I think it's going to be unless they have some sort of fabric or something and hey it's disney they may come up with something but it's going to be horribly uncomfortable i would think on a hot humid mm -hmm. day fireworks and lines you'll get that yeah that, that, that <laughs> that's is, my first thought. I mean, it's, like, it's like the opposite of the five o'clock shadow <laughs> uh, you better grow the five o'clock shadow just to compensate for the uh, for the whiteness of your face when you get that <laughs> Uh, fireworks and parades, all the fire. Now, my favorite part of Disney World is the fireworks. To me, that's a yep. that's a deal breaker. If there are not going to be fireworks down there because they don't want people gathering, that's a huge thing to take out of the experience. Mm -hmm. Same with I think. The, I, I mean, the, I, the parades. Uh, and it, and it's funny because we um, I, I read a blog last week and I I thought because we're we're going in October, we're meeting friends there who have never been to Disney World before. They live in California. They go to Disneyland all the time, and this was going to be their first trip to Disney World. And and we're going to tell them this weekend. We don't think it's it's the trip to take because you're going to miss out. They're going to miss out on great meals and great experiences and fireworks and parades and all that. But Daniel and I still want to go because it's like, how are they going to do this? We want to see mm. that. But but I, I I read a blog last week about you know um, do we want to go and and it was. It was somebody like us who goes a lot, and it's like, yeah, you'll get to do things maybe that you never have time in a jam-packed vacation, that you never have time to actually, like, you know, sit by the pool and relax by the pool. And, you know, so we, we want to go and just see business-wise how they're handling this. It is, uh, well, and, and, you know, the, the chance to do things, I, I, I've seen various reports about how many people they're allowing into the park. It's not going to be a case where anyone who wants to go can go. You have to call ahead, even if you're like you, a, a pass holder, and get a reservation. That's it's going to be the, the, the number of people in the parks is going to be far smaller. I assume they're going to have lines staggered out and stuff. But theoretically, that means you could do an awful lot more if you were there. Yeah, well, it will be like a special ticketed event. Like if you've ever been to like um, a Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween party or a um, they have the Christmas, the very Merry Christmas parties. So their ticketed events, they limit the number of, of people that can come in. And because they limit the number of people that come in, they don't have to have fast passes because it's kind of a controlled crowd. So, yeah, there are people, lots of people there, but it's not – you know, it, it's not going to be packed. So I, I think we, that's what they're doing. Because they're, they're um, if you had, like, they're, they're not using fast passes for this, um, like, going forward for the next foreseeable future. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with wait times on rides. You, you mentioned hotels. This I find really interesting, too, because apparently Disney is not allowing 
new reservations at its on-property hotel. So if you already had one, or I guess if it's after the summer, like you guys were able to make a reservation, but mm-hmm. for during the summer, if you were interested in leaving right now, not leaving now, but booking something right now, you are not allowed to book something on site. They are, they are culling the herd as it, I mean, they're, they're keeping the numbers way, way, way down at these hotels. Um, you know, I, I get it. I, I, I'm looking at this and all these other things and the fewer people on site and I'm thinking, okay, if you are still providing the experience with the number of staff and the characters, and I know you can't have character visits either, but how are they not going to be losing globs of money if they've taken out a lot of the f- revenue generators that they normally have? But I think people will still go, right? And and I mean, it's... Um... Yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of things that they will lose on. But Disney also has, you know, the parks are a very small part of the Disney empire, right? They have all all of their other business. They've got the Disney Plus channel and everything. So, you know, it's it's not going to be the end of the company if they have to lose a little bit for the next little while. No, uh, no. And I think, as you say, I mean, there, there are some people, I don't, I, I don't know how many people who are brand new to it and would take their first trip in the next little while. But I think there's a lot of people like you who have been many times who say, I've got to see how this thing is going to work just because mm-hmm. it's something brand well, we new. Were, we I, were there um, a few weeks after 9-11 and we had been to the parks um, for a few days and then we had um, friends join us down there and so Daniel and I had been to the parks there was really the crowds were very very small then uh, but they hadn't stopped started this the new security guidelines yet and then all of a sudden one day we show up with our friends and there's this huge lineup I remember it was at Hollywood Studios and that's the day that they started checking all of the bags um, and they were doing, I don't know if they were doing the metal detectors yet or not, but that was, that was kind of the start of that. And now, now it happens at every park that you go to. So it's kind of, you know, that's kind of like a routine thing now. So I know that they're going to be taking people's temperatures before you go into the parks now as well. And, and I have to wonder, is that going to be something that they just don't stop afterwards? I, do you think it's going to be fun? And and I know it's, I mean, it's all, it's Disney, right? It's, like, it's not like it's going time, to, right? yeah. well, it, yeah. And it's not like going to get some sort of, uh, you know, doctor's exam where they stick a spatula way down your throat or something. It's not like that kind of unpleasant thing. When I say, is it going to be fun? Yeah, it's going to be fun. But I'm just wondering, like, do, do you believe that when people go that it's still going to be anything like what it normally is? Or is Disney so good at figuring stuff out that they will make it work despite the challenges? I think, I think there will be challenges, but I think Disney will make it work. Uh, just for a few other things, they've also restaurants are uh, they're they're cutting way back on restaurants. Transportation transportation is a huge problem for them that they're still apparently trying to figure out because you've got all these people all over the place that have to get to these parks and that's close quarters and mm-hmm. they haven't figured that and, one and out. I don't think entirely. Like their transportation system is excellent because it's free and they have so many buses, right? Because they really discourage people from driving there. Um, so yeah, and I, I, I just like, I can't imagine because normally you come back from a park and, you know, you're, you're like jam packed in there in buses for like a, a 20 minute ride back to your hotel. And I, ooh, now the bus lines are going to be really, really big. And when I said, is it going to be fun? That's kind of part of the reason why I meant that is that one of the things, whenever you go, whether it's Canada's Wonderland or Universal or anywhere or Disney, 
you are not really thinking about the people around you. If you bump into someone, you say, oh, sorry, and you move along and mm-hmm. you know, you know, there's going to be lines and you know, there's going to be crowds. And now every time you're close to somebody, you're, you're going to be, be like, thinking. oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to be thinking it. And one of the beauties of these things is that when you get to these parks, and this may sound ridiculous, you're not thinking. Your brain is turned off. The whole fun of it is that your brain is turned off. You're not thinking about concerns of the outside world. And now, yes. yeah. necessarily, you have to bring that in. But I think, too, uh, because, again, going back to uh, the trip that we took right after 9-11, all I could think about was, you know, could Disney World be attacked, right? So we were there, and it was, you know, they made you feel more comfortable with checking everything that went in. Like, and, and that still happens today. Every single bag gets checked before you go into a park, and now even onto Disney transportation before you get onto the monorail. Um, that happens. So that kind of that kind of made me feel more comfortable, and and I'm I'm eager to see will the precautions that they take here will that slowly make you feel more comfortable there. But you're, but you're right. Part of the reason I love going there is, is that you kind of forget about what else is happening in the outside world. I will be, uh, the other thing we got to go, I, I will be fascinated to see how this works because I have a feeling that a lot of other theme parks, including probably Wonderland and others, Disney is the gold standard. I think a lot of places and not just theme parks, any place where people are going to gather for something. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this to see how they are able to do it because they are the, they are the Kings of this. Mm-hmm. If they can figure this out, well, we can do that. And if that works, we'll do that. I think everybody is going to be watching to see how this goes. Well, and all of the theme parks there now, um, like universal has a lot of things that Disney picks up on, right? Universal picks up on Disney, Disney picks up on universal. So it's, it's nice to see them kind of, I wouldn't say that they share information, but they watch each other to see what works here, what doesn't work. Well, we'll, um, we'll be seeing. And again, they're opening uh, early next month. Universal is already open. I didn't see today because today was the first day that you people were able to go back in. I didn't see anything about how many people showed up or if everybody is still too nervous to do it but um we'll be seeing we'll be seeing and annette holm will and i still have not come up with that question that would stump you because i know there is no such thing i could ask you like where is the picture of so-and-so on a wall and and just just assume if you're listening just assume yeah between (laughs) between annette and daniel her husband they they would have answered whatever question i asked they would have answered i'm just going to hit the little ding 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 bell yeah you got it right because i know you would have and we'll just pretend you did uh, Annette, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Go to sleep. Get up because you're up at like two in the morning. So we'll, we'll let you go. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Annette. We will take a break here on the Scott Radley Show. If you're going to go to Disney World, by the way, if you are thinking of going, because again, I mean, so many people, this is something that they've either done or they plan to do, especially if you've got kids. I'd love to hear if you were thinking of it, if you would still do it right now. Fewer lines, less weight, fewer things to see. It's a trade-off. And the idea that you may, in the back of your mind, all through the day, be thinking, ooh, does that person have it? Am I going to get it from them? I don't know. I love Disney World. I'm not sure that I don't wait till this is over, but we will see how many people are willing to take that chance. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.
The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.